Hello and welcome to another episode of the Spectator's Economic Innovator of the Year Awards podcast, sponsored by Investec. I'm Martin Brandeware. I'm the business editor of The Spectator and a co-founder of these awards, which began in 2018, so are now in their sixth year. Every year, we've been hearing from homegrown, high-growth, entrepreneur-led startups all across the UK. Today, we're talking about the entrants for 2023 that are in the healthcare sector. That means they're either in bioscience, developing cures, drugs, and so on, or they're in the kind of logistics end of healthcare, trying to make the NHS or other health services work better. The fact is, the UK was the first country to create a national health service, free at the point of use. It's now, more or less, 75 years old. It's rare we get through a winter without an NHS crisis, Uh, even without a COVID pandemic. Waiting lists are at historic highs, even though NHS funding too is at historic highs. So in that context, we're looking at innovations across the whole health sector, how to do things better, more efficiently, how to advance treatments cost-effectively across the whole range of health issues. So there we are. We've got seven companies to talk about today. And joining me to talk about them are two guest judges, who I'll introduce in a moment. But first of all, let's have a word from our sponsor, Investec, represented by Michelle White. Thanks, Martin. Yes, as a firm founded by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs, Investec is a long-term supporter of business owners, both internationally and here in the UK. I'm joining you today as a representative of our Investec Wealth and Investment UK business, which we've recently merged with the Rathbones Group. So now represented in 23 towns and cities across the country. It's been an absolute pleasure to do the tour with you and meet all of the finalists this year and looking forward to discussing the healthcare-focused companies today. Thank you, Michelle. So our first guest judge with us today is Johnny Olson, whose company called Touchlight was a 2018 winner of these awards. Johnny, a brief introduction, please. Thanks, Martin. I'm the founder of Touchlight, and we make synthetic DNA. Very good and very concise. (laughs) And our second guest judge, Nick Hardy, who helps us review all the companies that apply in the southwest region, but also sits on an NHS trust board. Nick, a brief intro, please. Thanks, Martin. Um, My career has been in financial management and I've worked in manufacturing, retailing and property investment and development. As Martin says, I'm on the board of an NHS Foundation Trust, which is why I'm here today. Very good. Thank you very much. So, as I say, we've got seven companies in different aspects of the healthcare sector. And I'm going to start with the one which is, as it were, the most consumer facing. The company is called Remedy Health and the product is called nourished and it is the world's first truly customized daily chewable supplement customized means it makes an assessment of the particular supplement needs for preventative health purposes of the the customer and it uses 3d printing 
and some clever software to create a kind of big pastel thing that contains all the goodness that the customer needs. I hope that's a fair description of it. Fascinatingly, Melissa Snova, the founder who presented to us, came along with some chewable supplements made precisely to the needs of one of our colleagues who was at the lunch. She had simply looked at his LinkedIn profile and the public information about him and concocted a supplement specially for him. We haven't been able to test whether he's fitter and healthier as a result, but that was a, that was a pretty bold way to make the pitch. So, Michelle, uh, you met Melissa, you heard the pitch. What did you think? Yes, well, she was brilliant in herself, wasn't she? And the, the tagline was that they're looking to bring personalised health to everyone everywhere, which was a big mission and something that they're, they're well on the journey in terms of delivering. She talked about founding in 2019 and so growing the team from a staff of five to over 250 today and we talked a lot about the challenges of that actually because that's obviously incredible growth very clever technology obviously 3d printing very much of interest across the sector at the moment and other sectors indeed and it was brilliant that she bought adam a stack personalized for him they're looking to expand into asia at the end of this year and further a field um, within Europe. So I think, you know, certainly an amazing growth and really fits that sort of original disruptor title as the awards were originally um, launched under six years ago, as you say. And one of the impressive things was the speed at which uh, she told us they can create and turn out and, and market new products using these 3D printing Yes. Techniques in, based in Birmingham. Johnny, did this catch your eye? I, I thought very impressive. I thought it's a lovely concept to be able to get bespoke solutions. I didn't delve into the detail of exactly how she did it, but certainly if it delivers on the promise, it's very exciting. Yes, I, I was very impressed by it. No single-use plastic in the production chain caught my eye. And the fact that it's founded by women is a plus as well. I find myself asking how you actually measure the effectiveness, but there are a couple of life experiences that are on the, their website from athletes who would swear blind by the product. So, yes, most impressive. It's formulated for specific lifestyles. So the, the pitch talked about a prenatal stack, a prenatal supplement, chewable supplement for pregnant women, a menopause stack and so on. So you can see the way in which it's targeted. Anyway, a very interesting way of delivering health supplements and a very impressive manufacturing base that has been created there. So that's Nourished and Remedy Health. So for our second company today, let's go to the northeast, where we met, for the second time, Ethos Regeneration. This is in the dentistry field, and its flagship product is a bone graft material that used in serious dental surgery as it were to replace lost bone and it's a material that in effect over a period of a year turns itself into human bone it's been a 10 years in the development it was created by dentists and it's reaching out to worldwide markets with a highly specialised but clever product for dental surgery. 
So, Michelle, again, you, you met Peter Wheeler, who pitched to us. What did yes. you think? I mean, for me, this was absolutely amazing, and I don't claim to fully understand all of the science behind it, but as you say, bone graft material that actually becomes bone after a period of, say, 12 months. So different to sort of fixing a dental problem with another material that would need replacing after so much time, this becomes part of the regeneration effectively. So completely different to what's been done in the industry for decades and decades and decades. And I think they're right on the cusp of hitting the big time here, potentially. You know, they've now got 10 years of experience and statistics and data to show dentists and other clients and potential customers. So I think that's a pivotal moment for them. He talked about the fact that competitive products all use bovine and porcine materials, which he highlighted sort of therefore upsetting almost every major religion you could think about. So that was another interesting point that they've really come up with something that could... um, reach a really broad market here. And, I mean, fascinating science. So, yeah, I was very impressed. And it's reaching 65 markets around the world as a Queen's Award for Enterprise. Nick, what did you think? Yes, very impressive. Um, I'd, I'd agree with everything Michelle said. I was taken by the impact that this innovation has on the risk of infection and disease. Clearly, the less risk of infection and disease, the less clinical time spent remediating. Similarly, the extra fast bone regeneration is something which, in terms of just efficiency of operation, has to be helpful in reducing clinical time, which is under such pressure. Johnny? Hats off to the guy for a great innovation. Yeah, I think this is rather marvellous that these are dentists in in their surgery at the dentist chair perfecting a really remarkable product to improve dentistry and then selling it around the world. So a a great example of the kind of thing we look for. So let's move on. We've got a couple of companies that are essentially in the business of trying to make things work better rather than to perfect new cures or new medical technologies in themselves. One is iEthico. iEthico, it's a health tech company which has developed an AI-powered digital platform to address increasing problems of medicine shortages. It has identified 150,000 medicines and sources of them in multiple countries, localised shortages, inequitable distribution and so on, and it's basically an enormous database telling people where they can find the medicines they need. That sounds tremendously useful to NHS Trust. So, Nick, what did you think? Yes, I, I'm quite surprised in a way that nobody has latched onto this before because what do we know about pharmacists? We know that they're becoming far more important in the medical hierarchy, particularly as the population gets older and people have comorbidities. So the impact that individual drugs have on each other, the mix and the cocktail of drugs, is something which... GPs certainly struggle to understand, but pharmacists do. So, in my experience, they are becoming increasingly important. And what they don't need to do is spend their time looking for supplies of drugs. This organisation acts a bit like a broker between the people who demand and need drugs and the people who manufacture them. 
And in addition to that, they describe themselves as wholesaler agnostic to encourage price optimization. And that's good for healthcare providers and uh, who are under financial pressure. Um, there's also something about making access ethical. So that's about price optimization and making sure that people aren't priced out of drugs that they need in order to service their customer populations. So it gets a big tick from me, and I was particularly impressed listening to Deborah Ainge in her pitch because she sounded all over it and her CV suggests she's got stacks of relevant experience. So hats off. Very good. Michelle, you met Deborah in Birmingham. Yes, and you're right, Nick, she was very impressive. As one of the bankers at the table, I suppose I asked the obvious question about how they are actually making money from this, and it was slightly different to what we probably expected. So it's not a simple markup between the sort of supply and demand pieces of the chain here. They are making their revenue by charging the seller, which they found is the right model here. And she talked interestingly about improving the model again in the future using... I suppose, AI and prediction software, which will speed this up and, again, make it even more efficient. So lots going on there and a very good, impressive start, as you say. Johnny, last word on this one? I think as soon as you see AI, you think it slightly gives me the heebie-jeebies because everybody seems to put that in their handle. But this is is an example of smoothing out supply chain and efficiency and and therefore you've got to say that it's a great innovation and... um, Again, good luck to her. Very good. Well, I'm going to come to you again first on the next one, Johnny, which is an entrant from Northern Ireland, Locator Locum. Again, this is one we've met before and has grown very substantially in the interim period. It's a software solution for pharmacies and also optometrists, but principally for pharmacies, locating and placing locum pharmacists where there are shortages of staff in pharmacies around the country. It's one of the largest UK locum agencies with 33,000 users and 8,000 organisations actively using the platform. Johnny, what did you think of that? I thought it was, this was really interesting. Um, Johnny is a pharmacist or was a pharmacist and he struggled to get quality staffing. He knows he's got a problem and his problem's not unique. He uses a lot of recruitment agencies. Recruitment agencies are expensive, they're inefficient, and anybody who runs a business knows that they get hounded the whole time by recruitment agencies. Uh, So he develops an app called Locator Locum and provides an end-to-end solution. Now, nothing particularly unique there, but this is a story about excellent execution of of a vision as you said, Martin, he's now got 33,000 users, 8,000 organisations. He's got 52 staff doing 20,000 shifts per month, which is pretty impressive, generating revenue of uh, over £350,000 a month. What he's done is then developed his product into an instant pay platform. And uh, locums love it because they get money instantly and pharmacists like it because it reduces admin time and uh, and it's a much more efficient. So he now develops his brand, and in his brand, he's recognised by the National Pharmacy Association, which is great, and he does a line extension into opticians. So he's extending his marketplace. So I think it's a wonderful story about having a vision. It's not unique. Uh, and is it copyable? Well, maybe, but he's got a lot of traction there. 
and and he's built a brand. And so providing he doesn't let his staff costs get out of control, he's built a fantastic business. Nick, again, from the NHS Trust viewpoint, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it is an answer to um, a prayer that providers will be very keen on indeed and, 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 and should use because they do devote a lot of time to filling staff shortages and so on and so forth. So I approve of this. And I think the latest developments in the product, which make it even easier for people to sign up, are quite important in terms of giving confidence in the product and in giving um, a bit of a USP as well. It's a business that is sort of on the zeitgeist too because it helps with flexible working. It's, it's not unique in the sense that we have actually had entrants before doing similar things, for instance, with nursing shifts in NHS hospitals, but it's a particularly well-developed example of that model. Michelle, last word on that one. Yeah, I really like this and agree with um, everything Johnny was saying. I mean, yeah, and to your point, very much innovating almost in the gig economy space in healthcare, Martin, and um, allowing people to work flexibly, which more and more people want to. I think the payments bit is the differentiator, and I think that's very clever. We probed a bit on, you know, you can see the upside for the locum, but what about the business? Presumably sometimes there's a an advantage to them not paying so quickly. But Johnny highlighted that compared to a recruitment company, which is what these pharmacists and opticians would usually use, you know, they're often having to pay 30, 60, maybe even 100% fee to get someone to do a shift. And it's all about needing boots on the ground and needing someone there. So it's really solving a problem. So I thought it was very impressive and great growth since they were last seen. And potentially... I think going from 20,000 shifts per month to potentially 60,000 shifts shows that he's got market traction. Yes. And good luck to him. Next one we're going to look at is called Nuclera. Johnny, I'm going to ask you to talk about this one. This is a biotechnology company with a mission to make better human health by making proteins accessible. I think you are the man to explain that to us and well, comment on it. In a sentence... Nuclera have developed an automated cell-free protein synthesis system by which they have moved it out of bacteria and developed an efficient way of developing proteins. This is a story of great British innovation, but also sort of highlights some of the issues of being a great innovator in Britain. These were three guys who were at Cambridge and they did a PhD in developing, I think, synthetic DNA. I think that's where they started. They developed some IP. It's a complicated area. They generated some seed finance, and their IP, they moved into making synthetic proteins. Now, this is a great advancement because it's speed, it, it, it is cost-saving, and uh, anybody who's developing drugs, this is the key factor. So they developed an advisory board. They got George Church, who is the godfather of synthetic biology, as one of their advisors, also Mike Jewett, and uh, several others. They've raised 80 million from big providers, uh, MG, Amadeus, British Business Bank, and uh, they've developed a machine. They've opened a Boston office, so all is great. The question is, where now? And are they a machine business? Uh, are they doing a, a sort of printer and cartridge model? Are they a service business, which is complex because 65% of the market will be in America? 
and they will need to scale up. And the margin in a service business will be on not just small scale, but on larger scale protein synthesis. So that is a big question for them, is what is the next step? But it's great British innovation. And this is the sort of company that government should look at and say, we need to support them to stay here in the UK. Because what Jeremy Hunt did quite well was try to go to the city and persuade the pension funds to invest in UK businesses like Nuclara. But the, the question is they haven't found the avenues by which to invest in companies like them. And hence, the, when the market is in America, the tendency would be for a company like Nuclear to move into the US. And these are the companies that need to stay here. Thank you very much. I think that's a complete summary. We probably don't need to add anything more. Well, we've got two more to go. Uh, both are in advanced areas of diagnostics and, and screening. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about is Atomarker, diagnostics company with a proprietary nanotechnology that measures multiple human and also animal biomarkers rapidly from a single small blood sample. So I think we were invited to look at, imagine, a handheld device, rather like a, a handheld credit card machine, that kind of scale which takes a small blood sample and can recognise a wide set of, of biomarkers from that. Its first applications have been COVID antibody immunity testing, for example, but it's, when fully developed, would have a much wider range of discovery possibilities, infectious diseases, cardiovascular disorders, cancer biomarkers... Uh, hormonal imbalances, all kinds of things. And what we could see is that in the highly pressurised environment of a very busy hospital, devices that speed up accurately the diagnostic process are a real breakthrough. So, again, um, Johnny, what did you think of that one? There's a lot of development going on in biomarker space, to state the obvious. Um, this is exciting if it delivers what it says on the tin. My question is one about intellectual property. Uh, how patentable is it? How unique is it, therefore? And how much can you frame the space by which you operate in? Because there is so much innovation going into this space. If they can deliver on the promise, then it's a very exciting innovation. But it is highly competitive in the biomarker space. Well, I mean, it's fascinating. Um, when you talk about AI, certainly in the field of ophthalmology, the question marks uh, surround the quality of the data that's used in developing algorithms. But if we assume, and, and this is an ambitious program, they talk about a billion data points in five years. That's a lot of data points um, which should give confidence, providing they are truly representative of the populations they're serving. Very impressive stuff. To be able to um, give a diagnosis within, say, 10 minutes of taking a sample is most impressive. So what's not to like? Rather than having to wait weeks for the results of uh, a test, you get the answer almost instantaneously. So this, this is one of the many entrants that we look at that's kind of on the cusp of a breakthrough in its market. It's not by any means fully developed yet, but it's projection of what its revenues might be in a couple of years' time are ambitious, and we wish it well, because we can see that that's going to do a wonderful thing. So the last one for today is Kiron Medical Technologies, who are at our London 
finalist lunch. It's a specialist in developing an AI tool for breast cancer screening. And I'll go straight to Nick to comment on this one. Okay, well, this is, I think, uh, enormously exciting. This, in common with some of the other companies we've been looking at, just takes a whole chunk of time out of the space between taking a scan or an image and coming up with a solution. And it claims that its AI tool gives a 13% better detection rate of breast cancer. And better detection means ultimately fewer mortalities. Its Mammography Intelligent Assessment, MIA, tool is being deployed across the NHS, 25% of the breast screening services in the NHS. And it's a project which is funded by the UK government. So it's another one of these ones that's on the cusp and, and could make an enormous difference because it addresses one of the real problems uh, in the NHS at the moment, the low supply of radiologists. This tool could reduce the amount of radiologist time required in order to diagnose and, and scrutinise scans, and that's a big increase in productivity, which would make a real difference. As Nick said, anything that improves inefficiency, uh, improves upon the inefficiencies inside the NHS has to be a good thing. And this is a wonderful technology uh, advancement. Please get it adopted NHS quickly. <laughs> and therein lies the problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can speak from lived experience of having spent three or four days in hospital waiting for a scan for an excruciating pain somewhere in my, um, in, in, in my guts because they couldn't find a radiologist. <laughs> When they finally scanned me, they said, you've got acute appendicitis. But by the next morning, it had cured itself. Anyway, so there we are. Thank you to my fellow judges for this podcast. There we see a set of companies that are either trying to make healthcare work more efficiently in filling pharmacy shifts, in making diagnostics work quicker and more accurately, more efficiently in easing the problem of a shortage of radiologists, all of these things. We've also seen companies with really breakthrough medical technologies, bone replacement material being a fascinating example. So there we are. Well, going back to my comments at the beginning, the NHS is a marvellous thing. It's a, it's a treasure of the British way of life, but it hasn't got the time and the resources to do innovation. Where does innovation come from? It comes from entrepreneurs. It comes from scientists in laboratories who turn themselves into entrepreneurs. And we see year by year in these awards a fascinating set of companies that are doing all of that. So I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Stay with us for the whole series. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this podcast sponsored by Investec. To find out how Investec can help you personally or your business, visit www.investec.com.